0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to speak the truth in love. As Christians, it is important for us to be truthful in all our words and interactions. It is also important for us to speak the truth to others regarding Jesus Christ our Lord. When we do this, however, we must do it in love, not in anger or in bitterness or pride or conceit. Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at this incredible principle of speaking the truth in love in Jesus Christ our Lord.. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus growing to know Jesus as we say, and every teaching, right, Jason, it's the meaning of life is growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, today we're doing, uh, Lord willing, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Um, the first three chapters have been have been incredible. Um, in the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul has laid out um, who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. Um, and you know, all that our heavenly father has done for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul has prayed for us, um, and prayed for the Ephesians in uh, Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter three. um, That we would have the spirit of revelation and wisdom um, that we would know him better that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened that we would know the hope to which he's called us the the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints that we would know the incredible resurrection power of jesus christ our lord then in chapter four he prays that we would be strengthened by the holy spirit in our inner being so that jesus would dwell in our hearts by faith that he wouldn't just be a visitor but he'd dwell in our hearts by faith um, he prays that we would be rooted and established in love, you remember, so that we would know uh, the the height and length and, you know, uh, width and depth of the love of Christ and that we would really know this love more than just the head knowledge, um, that we would be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. So the prayers were incredible. Um, but now as we transition into chapter four, um, the Apostle Paul is going to now transition from... Who who we are in Christ, all that we've received from Jesus, who Jesus is to us, um, and how Jesus has brought together all the Jews and Gentiles that we are now, you know, we're, we're one body of Christ. We all have equal access to God. He's going to transition now from all that Jesus has done for us, all our Heavenly Father has done for us, all the Holy Spirit does for us, and he's going to transition into now how we need to live in light of all this right so he's going to move now in these next chapters into what what our response should be to all that we've learned in uh ephesians chapters one two and three um and it's going to now move into what should our lifestyle be what how should we respond to the fact that that christ has given his life for us that our god the son of God, God, the son, Jesus became a human man for us, lived a perfect righteous life for us, died a, a, a perfect torturous death for us and was raised from the dead and that he's reconciled us with the father um, and that he saved us by his grace. Right. When we were when we were enemies, when we were just sinful and separated from God, how should we respond to that? And so that's what we're going to have here in uh, Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 16. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Um, Father, we again thank you for this book of Ephesians and just all the revelation that uh, that's in it, Lord, and that you've given to us in it. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, we thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying perfect, righteous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Holy Spirit. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service instead speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work wow thank you lord jesus i mean just uh i mean this is quite an exhortation here right now again keep in mind We've learned in the first three chapters all that our Heavenly Father has done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. We've learned of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, We've been prayed for. Um, Again, Paul is praying for the Ephesians, but by extension, it's for all Christians, right? Um, And we've learned who we are in Christ. We learned that we were chosen by him. Um, and predestined by Him before the world was even created, uh, we learned that we were reconciled to Him by His grace and mercy. We didn't, re- you know, we didn't deserve it. Um, and we learned that no more is there a separation between uh, Jewish people and those who are not Jewish. We are all equal, regardless of our ethnicity or our race or our heritage, um, you know, of, of any kind. Right? In Jesus Christ, we all have equal access to our heavenly father. Um, And so now again, he's, he's moving here into chapter four and he's going to be telling us how we need to live our lives in light of the fact of all that's been done for us in Jesus Christ. Right? So in verse one, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, it's interesting that Although Paul is, uh, he's under house arrest in Rome, and so he's a prisoner of the Roman government, but he doesn't call himself a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Italy. Um, He calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. Um, He understands um, two things, that number one, um, that he's in prison, and although it's a difficult situation, he's there for the Lord. He's there for the advancement of the gospel. Um, and, And number two, that that Jesus is in control of all things. So, as I've said before, um, either Jesus caused him to be in prison, or He allowed him to be in prison. And so, either way, you know, as we've said before, it has at least the passive approval of Jesus Christ. Right? Um, when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through hardships, the Lord is with us, and so He certainly allows us to go through difficulties. But it's for the advancement of the kingdom. It's for the advancement of the gospel, and again, it's very, very. It's it's difficult for us as believers to see trials and difficulties that way. Um, and, and many of us as believers are in different kinds of prisons, right? We can be in an emotional prison. Uh, we can be in a relational prison. We can just you know be in prison in different relationships and just all bound up, right? We can be in a financial prison. We can just you know have all kinds of financial difficulties, but. Um, when we're in these situations Jesus is with us um, and he's either causing it or allowing us to go through it um, and you know when we come out the other side of it we're always better off right we're better off for having gone through it so Paul refers to himself as a prisoner for the Lord even though he's actually in in prison um, by the Roman government right and um, And he he obviously was in prison for, you know, for for preaching the gospel um, and, you know, boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ and the Jewish people couldn't bear it. And so, you know, he was arrested and he appeals to Caesar in the book of Acts and, you know, he's sent to Rome and he's there awaiting trial when he uh, when he writes this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As believers in Jesus Christ, may we have received an immense calling. We've been called into the kingdom of God. We've been called as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of our heavenly father in Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we've been called to advance the kingdom of God, the son of God, in the gospel of God in and through Jesus Christ our lord it is the uh it is the greatest calling in the history of the world there's nothing greater than being called to walk with Jesus to serve Jesus to know Jesus in a deeper and more intimate way and so paul says i urge you it's urgent very few of us very few of us and and it's It's not enough in my life that we live like this is really an urgent thing, that that it's important for us as believers in Jesus Christ. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, The only life worthy of the call we've received in Jesus Christ is to give every aspect of our life to increasingly growing in Jesus Christ our Lord And obviously, every one of us would say that's not where we are today. So, Father, I do ask you to help us in the name of Jesus to more and more live a life worthy of the calling we have received in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now he's going to tell us, you know, different ways of how to accomplish that. Verse two. This is crazy. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. This is not a, I mean, just to, to understand these words, be completely humble and gentle. It's not easy just to be a little bit humble, right? Be completely humble. In every aspect of our lives, we ought to carry ourselves with an absolute humility that save Jesus Christ our Lord we are utterly worthless, right? We have no value, no hope, no faith, nothing awaiting us except eternal hell, okay? We ought to have an attitude of complete humility, okay? Be completely humble. Now, I certainly confess that, you know, I don't live my life in this type of humility in any manner to the level that I ought to. But this is the exhortation of the word of God, Corinth. right? Be completely humble. Again, having in mind all that Jesus has done for us that Paul laid out in the first three chapters, our response ought to be a consistent and continual aspect of humility before the Lord and before others. And again, Father, we need help. I certainly need immense help with all these things. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, There's a balance in the Christian walk. We need to be encouraging others, exhorting others, building them up. We need to be correcting them, right? Um, All the while, of course, doing these things in our own life first, right? We ought to be examining ourselves, making corrections. We ought to have a lifestyle of repentance. But Paul says we need to be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And, and I've said this before. Patience is something I, I need tremendous work on, right? First Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, right? Um, and so uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So we want to continue to exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to encourage those who haven't received Christ we want to consistently remind ourselves to do it in a gentle, impatient fashion, bearing with one another in love. We, you know, When we're, when we're impatient, um, when we're angry, when we're bitter, when we're condemning, um, you know, when we act in a superior way, um, you know, we're forgetting that save Jesus Christ and his mercy and his grace, we wouldn't understand anything. Um, and, and we ourselves would be of, of no value. In the sight of God, save Jesus Christ, except for condemnation. Now, those those are hard words, but this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all human beings are sinful, utterly separated from the triune God, with no hope in the world, except for eternal damnation in hell because of our sin. We we really don't understand. I was talking with Stephen yesterday, and um, he was asking a, a question as to you know why you know why God chose to uh, you know to do the things the way He did, and why did why is the plan of redemption the way it is that He Himself would enter the world, become a human man, live a perfect life on our behalf, die this torturous death. And and there's really no answer to the question except for the fact that we are so sinful that this was the only way to do it, right? Um, you know. Now, obviously, you know the Lord could have done it, in, you know, you know, if He decided or if He thought, but but we don't have a you know a uh, a God who's who really has options, right? So the Lord from eternity you know, before the world even began, before there was time, had the plan of redemption in place, right? Now, of course, you know, uh, you know, everything is possible with God, right? Um, and you know, we pray and sometimes the Lord moves on our behalf, but the plan of redemption has always been right. It's always been there. And so, uh, You know, Steven and I were talking about this and just uh, what I was explaining to him is that, you know, still, and I, I see this in my own life, we really don't understand. And it's hard. It's hard for me to understand, but we don't understand hardly at all. Meaning our understanding is so limited on how sinful our sin really is. It really, really is. Um, it's it's horrible. It's hellish. Our sin before a holy God is such an abominable thing that the only solution for it, because you remember, Jesus wanted another solution. Father, all things are possible. Take this cup from me, yet not my will. Yours be done. And the answer is no. There is no other solution. But for God himself, the son of God, Jesus, to become a human man, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live on our behalf, to die a torturous death and become sin, a death we should have died, right? That was the cost that was paid for our our redemption, Um. And so it's uh, it's just it's just an incredible thing to understand the love of Christ. But the more we understand the the price paid for our sin and how bad our sin really is, the more will we'll understand the love of Christ. And out of that, we do need to be completely humble and gentle. We need to be patient. We do need to bear with one another in love. Verse three. <clears throat> make every effort. Look! Look! Listen to those three words, Esther. Make every effort. <clears throat> this is not ambiguous, right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is obviously something we haven't done very well as Christians. Okay, um, I've said this over and over. We can, you know, the the church has become a very divided place, a very territorial place. Um, there are over 1,100 denominations in the body of Christ. Um, and even in the local churches, even in the individual churches, it seems so very difficult for us to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, And he's going to go on and explain to us here, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. So we're all part of one body of Christ, right? We're all joined together in the body of Christ. And we all have the one Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit living in us. And we're all joined together and made one in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, make every effort. That means to work as hard as you can. So again, do you see the the weight of this exhortation, Peyton? You see this, Scott? Make Every effort. What does those words mean? Do all you can. We need to work as hard as we can to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is this is obviously not something we've done. It takes a lot of repentance, right? It takes us. It's it's hard for us, uh, particularly when we become Christian leaders and pastors and elders and and deacons and ministers and and you know, it's it seems very hard for us to to humble ourselves and to seek peace because we care more about being right than what's right and let that sink in okay um as a believer in jesus christ that every one of us struggles with this okay if you don't think you struggle with this then you know you have other issues okay every one of us when we look at ourselves you know we, we, we have a certain pride in being right. We think we have a wisdom. We think we have an understanding. And the more we mature in Christ, the more we ought to have these things. We fancy ourselves as we are the ones who are making disciples. You know, we are the leaders. We are the authority in all these things. And certainly there's truth in all this. But all of that ought to be held. We ought to hold all those things in a very light way. And very few Christian leaders ever get to that point. OK, um, you know, uh, I might have known one or two in my life, you know, and certainly I'm not anywhere where I need to be that I really believe had gotten to this point. OK, um, I don't know that, I, you know, maybe one or two that 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 move in this kind of attitude of being completely humble and gentle. Right. But then work very hard to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, right? Um, Father, again, I, I just ask you to help us. I ask you to forgive me where I have failed in this, Father. Um, Father, help us, restore us again to to be at peace, not only in the local church, Lord, but with all the different denominations. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us, that we would come together as one sound body of Christ in the name of Jesus. Um <clears throat> Again, there's not going to be any denomination in heaven. It's fine that we have all the local churches, but we need to be able to agree with one another on the plain teaching of the word of God and on the son of God and on the gospel of God, right? Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Okay, we were only called to one hope. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, he's speaking about water baptism there. You don't get water baptized over and over and over and over. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, these are some profound words here, right? Now, look at this. We can see the Trinity in these verses, right? Look at verse four. There is one body and one spirit. Capital S-P-I-R-I-T. One Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jesus, one faith. Our only faith is in that one Lord, Jesus, and what he's done in our place and on our behalf and living a perfect life and dying a perfect death and being raised from the dead. One baptism, and again, he's speaking about water baptism here. Um, in the scriptures, we actually find um, and I won't go through all this right now, but there are, there are actually three different kinds of baptisms. When he says one baptism here, he's speaking about one water baptism. Um, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a, a spiritual baptism. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in the spirit realm baptizes us or immerses us into the body of Christ. And we become part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Um, and then there is a, a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is a subsequent spiritual baptism, right? It's Jesus baptizing you into his Holy Spirit. And again, it's a, uh, it's an infilling, it's an empowering to do the work that Jesus has called you to do. And then, of course, there's one physical, you know, uh, outward manifestation, which is water baptism. And water baptism is simply... Uh, it's in obedience to what Jesus has told us to do. He told us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. Right? So when we're water baptized, okay. And all of us as believers should be water baptized. When we go down into the water, it represents our identification with the death of Christ. When we come up out of the water, it represents our identification with the new resurrection life of Christ, okay? The old man or woman stays, you know, in the water, right? And we come out, you know, to live a new resurrected life. But that that water baptism is an outward symbolic, right, physical act of water baptism that represents the inward reality that we have already been baptized you know, by the spirit into Jesus when we were saved. Right. But we have one Lord. Okay. Only Jesus is Lord. Okay. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Okay. There is only one God and father. And in Jesus Christ, he's the father of all. Okay. This is what we have. Okay. Um, one God and father of all. Right. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. If you have not received the call, if you have not received Jesus Christ, you're being called today to receive Jesus Christ. And if you've received Jesus Christ, right, John 1, 12 may yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you're trusting in him, relying on him, clinging to him alone for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul, right? You have one God and Father, right? Your uh, your heavenly Father, God the Father is your heavenly Father. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's interesting. Our, our heavenly Father is not over, not only over all, which we know he is. He's, he's the boss of everything. And not only in all, right, that are in Christ, but also through all. You know, he's in every aspect, in every circumstance, in every detail of our lives. It's incredible. Wow. One Lord. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So we see here that it's Jesus himself who is dealing out grace. Now, you notice it's called grace. Because we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it. So if we have a revelation of Jesus, if we have an understanding of the scriptures, it is by the grace of God and the gifts that we've been given, right? Whatever gifts we have, you know, with regard to our personality or our intellect, um, whatever gifts we have, um, just regarding our disposition, they're, they're given to us by Jesus and they're a grace, Right. But to each one of us, grace has been given. So all of us in the body of Christ, everyone that's a Christian today, a genuine Christian, has been given grace by Jesus. It says grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ is the one who's given each of us. Jesus personally is the the member of the Trinity, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus. Is is given has given a portion of grace to every believer, right? The blessings of the gifts and the talents, um, you know, and the uh, just the the different idiosyncratic things that that we're able to do, right? Um, and do well. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ the portion. And again, it's Jesus who's given this grace. Verse eight. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So you see there, the the grace is the gifts that he's given us. And again, the gifts and the talents that we have that we are rightly supposed to be using in the advancement of the son of God and the kingdom of God and the word of God, you know, as well as obviously to, you know, we use our gifts and talents to work. And to make money um, and, you know, to provide for ourselves and our family. And certainly we need to do that. But the main purpose we're given these gifts is for the advancement of Christ. The advancement of the Son of God and the kingdom of God, right? Um, And so this is, uh, this actually, Paul is quoting here, Psalm 68, verse 18. When he says, this is why it says, so Paul is now, you know, looking back into the Old Testament Obviously, Paul knows that the Old Testament is the word of God because he quotes it here. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? So do you see Paul is reasoning here, the fact that Psalm 68 says that Jesus ascended on high Um, and you know, he, you know, he set, he set free, right? All those who were in bondage, but he ascended speaking of his resurrection and his ascension, right? When he was raised from the dead. And then after 40 days, he went back to heaven, right? But Paul reasons in verse nine, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, meaning Our God, the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, became a human man and came down from heaven and descended into this earth, right? Now, not only that, but in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4, Jesus also descends into hell, right? And, you know, and and teaches um, the righteous and the wicked that are in hell and proclaims the kingdom of God, you know, to them. Um, by no means did Jesus suffer in hell. Jesus conquered hell, right? Never was there a more fearful day in the history of hell than when God the Son Jesus entered hell, okay? Jesus did not suffer in hell. Now, he delivered us from hell. We would have suffered in hell, and he certainly took our place at the cross in what would have been And eternity in hell. But Jesus, when when he went to hell, did not in any means suffer in hell. He conquered hell. Okay? Bam. Wow. So, does that make sense? Verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? You know, our God came down and entered into this earth. Okay? Lived a perfect life. Died a perfect death. Rose from the dead and then ascended back to heaven. Verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Listen to what it says about Jesus here. He who descended, Jesus, is the very one who ascended, Jesus, higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So you go as high as you can. In the eternal realm, in the spiritual realm, past the physical universe, into the high heavens, into the highest heaven. And Jesus ascended higher than all of them. So he's at the very top. And now from the top down, fills. It says in order to fill the whole universe. That's a lot to fill, right? Right. I've said this before, we don't really understand, Uncle Dennis, who we're dealing with in Jesus. Try to try to lock in those words, Peyton, okay? He who descended is the very one who ascended, right, Rap? Higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe, okay? So get a picture of really who Jesus is. This isn't just the baby Jesus, okay? That makes sense, Scott? Leanne? Verse 11, it was he, Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So now we see it's Jesus who's giving out. It's Jesus who's calling us into ministry. Okay. Um, if you have been called into ministry, it's Jesus who's called you and it's Jesus who's gifted you in that ministry. Okay. Um, if you believe you've been called into ministry, you've been called to one of these gifts, okay? And it's Jesus who's who's given us these ministry callings. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. there there, there are five different offices. You know many people believe there are four different ministry offices. Uh, many believe that the pastor and teacher office is one office, and that may be true. Or, or it may be maybe two individual offices. There are some people that are that are much better teachers than they are pastors, and much better pastors than they are teachers. Um, certainly, as a pastor, we do teach, right? Um, so today, there, you know, these these gifts are undoubtedly still in operation. Now, when it says, "It was He who gave some to be apostles and prophets." There very well may be apostles and prophets today. Okay, Um, if you believe that you're called to be an apostle, you're not the same. Okay, the apostles are not the same as the ones who wrote the Bible. Okay, Um, no, there are no more apostles who are writing the scriptures. The scripture is finished, right? The Bible is completed. So um, there are no more apostles who are writing the scriptures, but. It doesn't say anywhere that the Lord stopped these ministry callings, so there very well may be people who are called to be an apostle. I'll say again, if I've said this before, if you believe that you have this this call of apostle, and the same thing with with, with the the call of the prophet, the prophet call today is is different than the prophets you know that established the church, the prophets that were that helped to establish the word of God. Um, and certainly the prophets of the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, again, we want to hold all of these titles very lightly, okay? If someone believes that they're called to be an apostle, you, you know, it, it's not something that they ought to walk around saying, you know, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. Um, um, obviously we you know we are pastors and we are teachers and that's what I am right a minister or a pastor and a teacher but we ought to hold all these titles very lightly um, an evangelist right um but but all of us as Christians are called into ministry every one of us is called to minister for Jesus Christ our Lord now not all of us do it full-time not all of us do it you know, for a living. Jesus hasn't called us all into full-time ministry, so to speak, where this is how we make our living, right? So there are particular ministry callings, apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, again, all of us need to do the work of evangelism, but there are some the Lord has gifted in the work of evangelism. Someone who's gifted in the work of evangelism, okay, is not someone who's just preaching from a pulpit, and sharing the gospel, or, or like here where almost every teaching I'll share the gospel, okay? Um, someone with the gift of evangelism is, again, is consistently sharing the gospel day in and day out. Now, I want to say again, whether we feel we have the gift of evangelism or not, all of us are called as Christians to, to work in evangelism and to and to get the message, the good news of Jesus Christ out there we're all called to evangelize okay at some level to the good news the good news is that god the son jesus christ our god became a human man and lived a perfect life for for all humanity all the sinners in the history of the world which is all of us he lived the perfect life that as sinners we could never live he lived it on our behalf and in our place he then died a torturous death That all of us should have died as sinners and was raised from the dead. And the good news is that if you'll receive Jesus as your savior, if you place your full trust and confidence and reliance in Jesus alone, if you cling to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, then you will be delivered and forgiven of your sin and delivered from an eternity in hell separated from your heavenly father right? That's the good news. And all of us are called to evangelize. Now, there are special gifts of evangelists and some pastors and some teachers, but look what the reason for this is, verse 12. These gifts are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay? So if you're in ministry today If you're a ministry leader, if you're a pastor, a teacher, an elder, if you believe yourself a prophet, uh, an apostle, a deacon, um, the purpose is for you to prepare God's people for works of service, okay, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So it's our job as those who make our living as ministers to consistently be preparing all Christians so that they themselves can serve and build up the body of Christ. So again, do you see the cooperation in all this? We're to work together as one body of Christ, where those that Jesus has called to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, are preparing God's people for works of service. So again, as ministers, it's our job Not only to teach the word of God, which is certainly our primary responsibility, but to be making disciples consistently, preparing them to serve the body of Christ. And in this way, the whole body of Christ is built up, verse 13, for this purpose, until we all reach unity in the faith. Obviously, as I've said, we're not there. Um, The goal of our life, verse 13, the goal of this service, the goal of preparing God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up is verse 13 until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's the meaning of the Christian life. This is the high call of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay. Until we all reach unity in the faith we ought to consistently be walking with one another and sharpening one another until we all have a unity in the word of God, a unity. Our faith is when we take God at his word, right? Uh, you know, we believe the gospel. We we believe that Jesus lived and died for us and rose from the dead because it says it in our Bible, Krista, right? Lauren, you believe in Jesus, not because I told you, not because your mom told you, not because your pastor told you, because it says it in your Bible. You believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, may, died a perfect death and rose from the dead. You believe it because it says it in your Bible. and You have faith that the Bible is the word of God and it's true, right? The purpose of the Christian life is until we all reach unity in the faith. We need to be building one another up in the body of Christ until we all reach unity, until we're on the same page in the faith, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We need to be united in knowing who Jesus is and really knowing Jesus, this Jesus who fills the whole universe until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, okay? Um, you know, you notice it says become mature, right? Maturi- maturity is a process, okay? Um, if anyone really thinks that they're mature, they have very little maturity, Okay, let me say that again. If any of us thinks that we are mature, that's that that's a clear sign that 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 we've we've just begun the road to maturity. Okay, uh, Christian maturity is a uh, is a high calling, and it's always been my my experience that that the men and women of God that I have found in my life that were the most mature certainly did not believe themselves to be any way at the level of maturity that they needed to be okay certainly i'm yeah I, I lack so much maturity there's so there's no words for it and become mature mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ you notice it says attaining it doesn't say attained because it's a process right attaining to the whole measure a mature christian is consistently attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, okay? Again, all of this, okay, someone who is like this is completely humble and gentle. I don't know anyone like that. Someone who's patient, someone who's consistently bearing with one another in love. Verse three, someone who's making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. They're not prideful. They don't get offended. They don't get bitter and angry and unforgiven. They don't get beat red in the face. There's so many babies in the body of Christ today, there's no words, okay? All of us need to repent if we want to try to become this type, these type of men and women. And the result of this, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, okay? And the body of Christ is, is, uh, you know, the two billion Christians in the world or the people that claim to be Christians, it's almost two billion infants, And then there are hopefully those of us who are on the road to maturity, right? But as we begin to walk in this, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, okay? So one of the ways to recognize that we're not on the road to maturity is still when we entertain other philosophies, still when we don't understand the plain teaching of the word of God. Still, when we believe that there are other roads to heaven besides Jesus Christ, still when we don't maintain that the Bible is the living word of God, still when we don't understand that we are all as human beings sinful to the core and without our savior, Jesus Christ, only hell awaits. Okay. We're still infants when we're tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, okay? Someone who does not hold to the word of God and is teaching things contrary to the word of God, it's simply deceitful scheming, okay? And if we're caught up in that, that's a sign that we are not, have not yet begun the road to Christian maturity, Okay? You know you're on the road to Christian maturity when you're not tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every into of teaching, right? You believe something one day, something different the next day. This doesn't mean we don't grow in understanding the word of God. This doesn't mean we don't grow and mature in our understanding of the word of God, but we're we, we're not going to believe anything contrary to the word of God, and we're firmly going to believe the plain teaching of the word of God, right? Verse 15, and this is how we ought to be living our lives. Instead, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. See, we're, we're, we're called to speak the truth. We're not called to lie, okay? Um, we're called to speak the truth, but when we speak the truth, we need to do it in love. Oftentimes, I have spoken the truth, and it hasn't been loving. It's been out of anger or bitterness or pride or frustration or, or irritation. Forgive me, Lord. And all y'all forgive me when I've done that to you. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Okay, Our job is to grow up into him. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him. Our job is to grow up into Jesus who is the head. All right, Jesus is the head. We want to grow up. Jesus is the head over everything. He's the boss, right? Jesus is the Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the bride of Christ. That's why every teaching I start out by saying, are you, are you growing to know Jesus? Are you growing to love him? Are you spending time with him? It's for this reason, so that we will in all things grow up into him, Jesus, who is the head that is Christ. Verse 16, from him, Jesus, the whole body. Every one of us that's a Christian today, a genuine Christian, is part of the body of Christ. And Jesus is obviously the head of the body of Christ. He's Jesus. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. You see how we just were all connected and we're called to support one another and bring peace to one another and build one another up. We're called to speak the truth to one another, but to do it in love. Not in condescension, not in superiority, not in arrogance, right? Not in a conceited way, right? Not in an overbearing way, not in a demanding way. All of us need to repent as Christian leaders. Me at the forefront. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows. The whole body grows and builds itself up in love, not in anger, not in bitterness grows and builds itself up in love and look at this look at these last six words because there's nothing more important here as each part does its work you see that becky from him jesus the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work Every one of us that are Christians today, every one of us in the church around the world, every one of us that have genuinely received Christ as our savior needs to do our part in the work of Christ, in the work in the kingdom of God, right? The reason the church is not in this state, the reason the church is in a complete state of immaturity is there are very few Christians that are even doing close to their part, okay? So look at your life today. Examine your life. This whole body of Christ grows up as each part does its work. It's not just the minister's job, the pastor's job, the elder's job, the teacher's job. Each one of us has a part to do. Each one of us has work to do. And when we leave this life and stand before Jesus, we're going to be rewarded accordingly. So are you doing your part in the body of Christ? What are you doing today with your time, your talents, and your money? To advance the kingdom of God, the Son of God, and the Word of God. And, and you know, for most people, they may have one of these. Some, some people use their money for Jesus, but they really don't use their time and talents at all, right? Some people will use their time and some of their talents, but they sure won't use any of their money because they, they hold on to their money tight, right? We want to consistently be doing our part in the advancement. Of the work of christ and his kingdom and his body helping the body grow up into maturity from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work father again we thank you for your word we thank you for your mercy your favor your goodness and your grace on our lives Father, I do ask you to forgive us where we have fallen short in these things. And I do repent, Father, for myself. And uh, Father, I just ask you to to help us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just to, to give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear Jesus. Give us hearts that understand. I ask you to convict us, Holy Spirit, and exhort us that we would grow up, Lord, that we would begin to be, Lord, I don't even know how completely humble, that we begin to be humble, moving toward complete humility and gentle, being patient, bearing one another with love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Help us, Lord, forgive us not to be infants anymore, toss back and forth, Lord. Um, And Father, I ask you to help us to speak the truth, but to do it in love, not in anger, and not in bitterness, Lord. I ask you to convict us, each one and all, to increasingly more and more do our part and help others do their part in building up the body of Christ. Father, I ask you to restore us and bless us as a church. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We commit this time into your hands now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.